0: Lamentations 3 verse 21 but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope the steadfast of the Lord never ceases his mercies never come to an end they are new every morning great is your faithfulness the Lord is my portion says my soul therefore I will hope in him and uh, that's my prayer is that I would always be able to say that, that my hope is in the Lord, and since His love never ends and His mercies are new every single morning, it doesn't matter what happens that day. It doesn't matter. It's going to be a great day. Why? God's faithful. God's faithful, and His mercies are new every morning. It doesn't matter what I did yesterday. It doesn't matter if I had a little bit uh, too much road rage or, uh, or if I said something I shouldn't have to somebody. It doesn't matter. The slate has been wiped clean. God's mercies are new every morning. So I hope you'd be encouraged by that Um, it's just something the lord laid on my heart during worship But before we get into anything else, I want to invite a good friend of mine up here His name's trevor finnegan and uh, I I can't exactly remember the specific time that I met trevor it it was some point in junior high school and uh and, you know, I've just always sort of grown up around Trevor, and he's he's such a great guy. We've reconnected in the last little while, and, uh, and he's somebody who just really blesses my soul. And uh, so I asked him, we, we had lunch um, last week, I think, and uh, and I had asked him, you know, to, to come back this Tuesday and give a Devo, and uh, so he's just going to come up here for a couple of minutes and uh, share what the Lord has laid on his heart. So uh, will you join with me in welcoming Trevor.
1: Uh, thank you, Tyler. Um, yeah, uh, basically, I think it was junior high that we actually did meet. Uh, I actually do remember a funny story about that. Uh, he actually <laughs> – do you remember Zach? Just just quick. Do you remember Zach? I remember he threw a mustard on you, and you swore it was me. And I remember he, he got so angry at that. He was like, you're so immature. And I just remember that. I was just like, oh, man. Uh. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to throw him on the bus. Great guy. Uh, <laughs> we're really good friends. Uh, yeah, uh, we just, me and Tyler had lunch just uh, a couple days ago. Um, and I just kind I of, lo- I love having lunch with this guy. I mean, uh, every time I talk to him, he's like iron sharpening iron, man. He's always lifting me up. And uh, I basically just kind of got out of a job, full-time job. I was working a lot of hours. And one thing that kind of took a back seat in the environment, the job was kind of bad. And uh, my, uh, my relationship with the Lord, more importantly, my devo times with the Lord, kind of took a back seat. And uh, through that, it's just I just started to notice my attitude towards everything kind of changed for the worst. I mean, I started to get angry out of nowhere. I, I started to, you know, start to hate things. I'm a very hateful person. I, I start to start to notice when I'm away from the Lord, and um, so that's why I kind of wanted to give a devo on something I've been struggling with: is how to do a devo. I mean, my devo time it seems like. Uh, it, it gets worse as I don't do it. It's almost like I can get rusty at doing my devotions, and uh, and I just kind of wanted to share with you guys just my heart and uh, what I've learned uh, through God's word on how, how it's you know changed me and how uh, I'm able to do my devotions pretty good now. <laughs> and so uh, if uh, you would open with me to uh, Joshua 1, uh, I'm going to go through verse 7 and 8. And um, wow, I didn't think I was going to be as nervous as I am right now. I'm like, shaking, <laughs> so uh, bear with me. Um, just kind of a brief, bra- uh, brief background on um, what's going on right here in Joshua 1. I'm kind of throwing you guys in the middle of the chapter, but uh, basically uh, Moses has died now, and Joshua is taking Moses's place in leading uh, the Israelites to the promised land. Uh, the Lord is basically telling him, all right, where the promised land is, how to get there, and more importantly, how to lead the Israelites. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, read right now uh, verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to the law, which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn it from the right hand or from the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. Verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. All right. First thing I noticed in doing this, uh, just doing this devotion is he says, uh, uh, observe, gosh, man, I'm tongue-tied, I apologize, observe twice. He mentions observe twice, and I was like, well, you know, he obviously wanted to bring a point across by that, and I was like, well, what is observation? What does observation mean? And it means to watch or to take heed or to keep. And immediately when I thought of that observation, I don't know, my mind kind of backtracked to, like, when I used to watch CSI. I don't know if any of you watched that. Uh, I used to like the Las Vegas one. That one seemed less dramatized than the other ones, but... Whenever uh, they go to observe a crime scene, I notice they like pick everything apart. They never leave any just piece of evidence alone. So even if they can't, you know, take it physically, they'll wrap it in tape and then, you know, take a picture of it. They're keeping the evidence. They need the evidence to use later. And the same way we need to do that with our devotions. We need to pick it apart. First of all, we need to find out what it's talking about. I mean, so many times I'll read my devotion, get it done really quickly and go do the other thing I had on my mind. Or maybe I had nothing to do on my mind, but I still just want to get my devotion out of the way. And so you need to really cherish it. and You really need to, you know, pick it apart. What is it talking about? Why is he saying this? Where are they? Just like even here in Joshua, you know, just giving that background on, you know, what's going on, what's happening. Just that observation to know what you're talking, you know, know what it's, what it is it's talking about. And then another thing I noticed here uh, is he said, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. Meditate. What is it to meditate? It goes along with observation meditate means uh to attend to practice to ponder to ponder so really think about something really think about what you're reading break it down i love how uh josh thompson teaches all of his message inductively it's he really pieces apart every little verse that you read and it really just helps you it gives you a different perspective when he takes all those words defines them and tells you exactly what it is they're talking about and um Also to imagine, I like to imagine myself almost like as if it was being written for me specifically, like a lover, like a a love letter. If God was to write you a love letter, you, you would read it, you'd read it over again, you would pick it apart. I keep saying that, pick it apart, but it's just part of the pattern, you know, and you would really find out, even read in between the lines, really find out what it is the Lord's telling us. And then also to mutter and to mull over. I mean, always have it on your mind, constantly thinking about it. And I like that mole over. Uh, makes me think of uh, the cow analogy. I don't know if you guys ever heard this, but uh, basically, you know, a cow has four stomachs. So, what it does is it eats the grass, chews it up over and over and over, swallows it, regurgitates it, chews it up over and over, swallows it again in the next stomach, and then on and on and on until it passes. Same thing with the devotions, you know, we got to, we got to find those verses that really mean something to us that even the ones that don't, I mean, just really read and break it down again, break it down and uh, swallow it, regurgitate it, bring it up later. So, you know, in our heads, you know, we should be constantly thinking about it throughout, throughout our day, muttering it to ourselves, you know, what is it that the Lord told me? And if so, what it is, you know, just really constantly uh, bring it back up, thinking about it. Uh, Another thing is, and I kind of actually threw this one in, in making my uh, devotion is prayer. Prayer is a huge part of a devotion, and uh, I know everyone pretty much, I think, when you guys do a devotion, you always pray afterwards, but I found out, as for myself, is I like to pray before, and I didn't know I liked to do that, and I mean, I didn't know I I should do that, but uh, it really puts my mindset towards towards what I'm reading, towards the Lord. It really just kind of, like, helps me focus. Because so many times I'm just, like, reading the chapter and I'm just like, okay, I'm done, get out of here, do my own thing. And, or even I'll just read the chapter so quickly and I, I didn't even think about it. I wasn't even thinking about what the heck I was reading. Like, I was thinking about something random, like, you know, what kind of power my dog would have if it was a Pokemon or something weird like that. <laughs> but uh, but uh, we, need to, we need to have that prayer time to get our mindset. So first of all, we need to observe. You know, what it is that the Lord is uh, saying to us, what it is that he's talking about, we need to meditate on it. So really break it down, think about it, chew it over, mull it over in our heads, and focus on what he's talking about. And then we need to do it again. So it's observe, meditate, repeat. I mean, it's like kind of like the, the shampoo things, you know. Rinse, lather, repeat, or rather, uh, what is it? Anyway... Um, So anyway, yeah, we need to repeat it. We need to do it again. We need to make it a daily thing. I mean, I know as for myself, it's like sometimes I'll just get in these awesome devos. Uh, I actually do a devo with the Men's Excel Ministry. I don't know if you guys heard of that. My dad kind of runs it, kind of threw me in a group. But basically what we do is we read a chapter a day and then we respond to each other and we all kind of keep each other accountable. can read other people's responses. It's really good. But uh, sometimes I'll just get into a good devo. You know, I mean, my heart's totally to the Lord, had an awesome response. And then the next day I get, you know, lazy i procrastinate now thinking oh, i'll do it tonight and set it in the morning and then the next day goes by ah you know i didn't really do my devo yesterday i'll do two devos and then pretty soon the whole week goes by and i haven't done another devo since then so we need to make sure that we we are in god's word daily meditate on it day and night every time i mean we just got to make that point make a plan and if you guys don't have anything i think it would be good i know actually um here uh that what is it you guys it's a chapter a day here uh is it through facebook they actually have it through Facebook. But uh, basically a way to keep you guys accountable in doing your devotions. If not, I mean, even just get with some friends, you know, uh, that will build you up. The way you can just email each other, you know, just kind of have that, like, other point of view. So um, that's just uh, something that the Lord uh, hit on me about, and I was like, oh, that's that's great. So uh, actually, wow, this, this thing, uh, this devotion time was great, but I didn't even <laughs> – this is my first time doing this. Sorry, guys. I didn't even hit on the verses that I wanted to go through. Uh, <laughs> uh, the reason I didn't want to do it on um, so much is on how. Or I mean, I wanted to do it on more on how to do a devotion than why, because I thought it was actually pretty apparent that we sh- why we should do a devotion. And uh, just a couple verses that I jotted down on just to give a brief like explanation towards that is Psalms uh, uh, one nineteen eleven. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. We do it so we don't sin. I mean, doing your devotions, your time with the Lord keeps you from sinning. Another thing, 2 Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, all scripture is given inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete. Uh, so we do it to you know for instruction, for, for inspiration, but for to be profitable and to be cle- uh, complete in the Lord. And then, heck... Uh, 2 Timothy 2.15, if any of you ever been to the well one time, hearing Josh Thompson's motto, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. We do it to be approved unto God. We do it to learn. So, I mean, that's why I didn't want to go over too much on why we should do a devotion. I think we all kind of know that, but more along how. So I kind of flipped over what I was going to talk about. But, uh, yes, Uh, and another thing, just really fast, um, just on an ending note, I loved in Joshua, he also mentions twice, um, it will make your way prosperous. And uh, let's see, make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. He mentions that twice. So if you're in your word, you're meditating on it, you're observing what you're reading, and you're doing it daily, it's like a promise of God. You will be prosperous. You will prosper in the things you do. And so with that, I just wanted to... That's pretty much all I have to say. <laughs> thank you guys for, you know, letting me share my heart with you guys and listening. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and end with a prayer. Uh, dear Father, first of all, I just want to thank you for this day you've given us, Lord. I just want to pray that uh, that what I said or what you said more um, uh, helped any uh, helped the people here, Lord, that they uh, opened their hearts and, and that you came in, Lord. And I just want to pray, Lord, that now that we go into the Word uh, with uh, Tyler Bianco uh, teaching in genesis i pray that you'd fill him with the holy spirit that you'd open all of our hearts to receive his word or your word and uh, jesus name amen thank you guys sorry for saying uh, a lot
0: amen thank you trev appreciate it now that's so when you know i, I picked trevor up because i wanted to you know talk a little bit about you know what he was going to talk about on the way down here and It just brought the biggest smile to my face when he told me what he was going to teach on because that's the vision of this study, right? We're reading a chapter a day as a family through the Bible. Why? Well, we've talked about it and it's exactly what Trevor just talked about here. And so it's such a timely encouragement as we start back in Genesis. Family, come with us. Read along a chapter a day. Um, If you haven't been doing it, today's the perfect day to start. And uh, tomorrow morning, you can hop on Facebook and uh, put in Upper Room at Sips and and get locked in with getting those devos. Uh, They'll come to your inbox every single day, every single day to remind you and to encourage you to to not only get into your word and to study for yourself, but these are just a tool to help you. Uh, You know, in case you read something and you just didn't get anything out of it, you're wondering, man, I wonder what, what somebody else got out of it. That's what these devos are for. So I encourage you to uh, to get plugged in with that and start reading along with us. Well, before we jump into uh, into our study, I, I just wanted to share a little bit with you about what what's been going on with me lately. Um, today was just one of those off days for me. Uh, I don't know if you know those times where you wake up and you, it's like you woke up on the wrong side of the bed, and uh, I rolled out of bed this morning way later than I wanted to. I slept into like. 10 o'clock or something like that and I just get out of bed and walk into the bathroom and I live with Brian and he's just cracking up at me he's on the phone laughing at me I'm just like man it's just that day you know and so that's why that passage that I shared with you in Lamentations is so ministered to my heart today and I don't know if you're having one of those days or if you've had one of those days recently where you just don't feel yourself, you're not on your A-game, you're just sort of going through the motions, and uh, people are talking to you, and it takes you about 20 seconds to respond because you're slow in processing everything they just said. But, uh, but that was a day for me. And, uh, and so this passage in Lamentations 3 has been such a blessing to me and has encouraged my day that God's mercies are new every morning. So this morning when I woke up and I wasn't feeling like doing anything today, I was just feeling like laying in bed the rest of the day. I was just like, I've been here half the day anyway. I might as well just stay here. Even though I wasn't feeling it today, when I woke up this morning, God was feeling it today. His mercies renew every morning. His love is never ending. And even when we are faithless, God is faithful. And I love that because that's, in a sense, the, the meta-narrative or the, the overarching story of the entire Bible is our faithlessness and God's faithfulness. So if you're having an off day today or, or you're having a day where you're not feeling so faithful to the Lord, take heart, be encouraged. Know that you're not alone because I'm having one of those days today. But know that even though you may be faithless, God is always faithful. Amen? Amen. Well, before we jump into scripture, let's pray one more time. Father, we're here for you and nothing else. God, this isn't about showing up and, uh, and making an appearance or serving our, our time for the week of going to Bible study. Lord, we're here to hear from you, and we're here to meet you. And so, God, even though today is an off day for me, Lord, I know that you are on your A-game today, God. You, You have something so awesome for us from your word, and so, Lord, I pray that you would just move me out of the way. Uh, that you would be able to really minister to our hearts and speak to us, that we would learn how to love you more with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and learn how to better love each other as we love ourselves. I lift this all up in your precious son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 16. So flip over there with me if you would. Genesis 16. As you well know, because if you didn't know it before, I've said it twice so far today, we're reading a chapter, di- of, we're reading a, chapter a day of the Bible together. And uh, so if you have not been reading along with us, you're missing out. You're missing out. It's been pretty rad so far reading through Genesis. But just in case you've missed it the last week, this is what's gone on. Last Tuesday, we talked about Noah's covenant with God, Right. And this was the very first covenant that God ever made with man. We also talked about Noah and his kids. They were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Awesome. For those of you who don't know if it's your first time, I like to hear back from you. And uh, so I want to hear what you have to say. Because if I stand here the whole time and I'm just talking at you, I get bored. So I want to hear what you guys have to say, too. So that's right. It was Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And uh, who was it that walked into Noah's tent and saw Noah drunk, lying on the floor naked? Who was it? Which one of his sons? Ham, that's right. And so he comes out with dad's shirt, and, uh, and he says, hey, Shem, Japheth, check this out. Dad got drunk, stripped down naked, and he's passed out in the tent. He uncovered his father's nakedness. And so what do Shem and Japheth do? Well, they ran in and uh, pointed and laughed at their dad. <laughs> no, that's not what happened. Shem and Japheth, rather than doing what Ham did, they put, uh, they put their dad's shirt, his garment, his cloak over each of their shoulders and walk in the tent backwards and toss it back so that they don't look at their dad, so that they cover up his nakedness. So Noah wakes up, and what does he do? You remember he curses Canaan, Ham's son, and he said, Cursed are you, Canaan, that you're going to be a servant to Shem and to to Japheth, you're going to be a servant to your brothers. He looks at Shem, and he said, Blessed be the God of Shem, right? And then he turns to Japheth, and he blesses Japheth, Noah does, and he says, Blessed are you when you dwell in the tents of your brother Shem. It's important because that I recap all that because we're going to be talking about those three kids in a little bit. But from there, what happened? uh, We read about all of the descendants of Ham, Shem, and Japheth in chapter 10. Then in chapter 11, we get to the Tower of Babel. And uh, the Tower of Babel was uh, the story that happens here is everybody comes together and they decide that they're going to build a tower that reaches up to heaven. And uh, because they want to be equal, in a sense, with God. They want to be up where God is. God doesn't get too happy about this. Why? He shares his glory with no one. God doesn't share his glory with anybody. And so what does he do? Well, he strikes the entire people. And now, all of a sudden, they don't all speak the same language anymore. And they realize that "I, I can't understand a word you're saying and you can't understand a word I'm saying. And so this is where everyone splits up and sort of, Populates the rest of the earth and this is where we get our different languages from That's why english doesn't sound like spanish doesn't sound like french doesn't sound like german and so on and so forth They all have similar roots Right, but they're all different languages. This happened at the tower of babel in genesis chapter 11 After that we take a look at at uh, some of shem's descendants all the way down to a guy named abram abram Chapter 12, God calls this guy Abram, and he calls him out, and he says, Hey, take everything that you have, leave your home, and I want you to go into a land that you don't know. To a people that you've never seen before, I I just want you to pick up and go. And so what does Abram do? He obeys the Lord. He packs everything up, and he takes off. And on his way, uh, we read that that on his way down, he, he sees this valley, the valley of Canaan, and God stops him there and he says, all this land I'm going to give to you and, your to, and to your descendants. All this land, the land of Canaan, which ends up being, anyone know? The promised land, land <laughs> the valley of Canaan. Nobody knew, that's okay, don't worry about it. The valley of Canaan ends up being the promised land, and so Abram's descendants, Israel, we know that later on we're going to read about it, Long down the line, after, uh, after Deuteronomy, they finally enter in and they take hold of the promised land, the land of Canaan. So this is important, what we're reading now. It's going to play into the story later on. But again, just quick wrap up of what's happened over the last week. God calls Abram, he goes, then he finds his way to Egypt. There's a famine in the land, and, and so he packs up, takes off to Egypt to find refuge, and Sarai, his wife... Um, you know, when he's on his way in, he gets kind of scared. He doesn't really believe that the Lord can take care of him and take care of Sarai. And so he says, baby, you are so beautiful that if we go in here right now, they're going to kill me and take you as their wife. So we're going to have this clever scheme. We're going to call you my sister and, uh, we'll just fool everybody and don't worry about it. It's going to be okay, but you're you're just too gorgeous, babe, for me to be going around calling you my wife. And so Sarai and Abram go into Egypt and Pharaoh ends up finding out about Sarai, how beautiful she is, and so he takes her as his wife. Uh-oh. This is a problem. What ends up happening is plagues come on Pharaoh's house, and supernaturally, the Lord reveals to Pharaoh that Abram has duped him, and that the whole reason why these plagues are happening to him is because Abram lied and said that Sarai was his sister, when in reality, she was his wife. So Pharaoh calls him out, like, what is your problem? Why did you do this to me? And so he calls the guards, he's like, take these people, get them out of here, just Get them out of here. They've caused enough problems. And so Abram and Sarai take off. They leave the land of Egypt plus at least one servant. And uh, Abram goes back, and, and he goes back to the land that God had given him to dwell in. And Abram had a, a nephew, Lot. They end up splitting. Not super important. Except to say that in chapter 14, Lot gets in trouble, gets captured, and Abram literally hunts Noah down, or I'm sorry, not Noah. I don't know why I said Noah. Abram hunts Lot down <laughs> and ends up getting him back. The king of Sodom tries to, uh, to give him a bunch of money, but he refuses. Then he meets this guy named Melchizedek and uh, gives him a tenth of all, that he, of all the spoils that he had taken, which is where we get our tithe. It's a tenth to Melchizedek, who is a priest. Of God, then we get into the real brunt of what we're going to talk about. So that's what you missed so far over the last week in this quick catch up. But chapter 15, something really important happens. And so we're going to flip ahead and we're going to read a section of scripture in chapter 15 before we get into our text today in chapter 16. Chapter 15, starting in verse 1, after these things, so after this massive recap I just gave you, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my, of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Verse 6. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Yeah, this is where that... famous scripture comes into play abram believed god and he counted it to him as righteousness see here's what's happened god had promised abram a long time ago when he first told him hey get up and move pack up and move he told abram he promised him that he was going to give him tons of kids And so years have gone by. All of these events have transpired. And here sits Abram still without a kid. And God appears to Abram and says, hey, Abram, don't you worry about anything. Don't worry about anything. I am your shield. I am your shield. And I am your exceedingly great reward, God says. And so what does Abram respond to God with? Well, he says, well, what are you going to give me? What am I getting out of it? I find that so interesting and I can relate to that so much that God looks at us and he says, I'm your reward. I am all that you need. I am everything in me. There is fullness of joy and at my right hand are pleasures forever. And we look at God and say, yeah, but what are you going to give me? What do I get out of it? Abram asks this question and and God tells Abram, I am gonna give you a son. I promise. It's going to happen. We have a promise from God to Abram that not only is he going to give him a son, but he takes Abram Come on, Abram, come outside with me. Take up take a look at the stars and count them if you can. Which obviously Abram couldn't. And God says, that's how many descendants I'm going to give you. Just trust me. And Abram believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abram believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now we'll pick up in chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar, and Sarai said to Abram, "Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant; it may uh, go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her." And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. We'll pause right there. So here we are. Abram has just been promised, "I'm going to give you a son." And so now, immediately after that, what do we read? Sarai had given him no children yet. Hadn't happened. God had not yet, yet given Abram a son through his wife, Sarai. And so Sarai gets a little bit ticked and a little bit bummed. And so she starts to scheme and she starts to plan and contrive a way to expedite God's promise. And she says, yeah, you know, God is a... Kept me from having kids. So, what I want you to do, Abram, is I want you to go and take my servant, Hagar, this Egyptian woman, go and have sex with her so that I can have a kid through her. This seems absolutely ludicrous to us today. But you have to understand that in that culture, in sort of the, the culture that's around them, this Mesopotamian, Babylonian, Egyptian culture, this is extremely common. Extremely common. In fact, there's a law written about it in the, the reigning law of the land, and that was Hammurabi's Code, and that basically said that if, um, if a woman is not able to have children, she should get someone for her husband to conceive a kid with, and then that child will be the wife's kid. Does that make sense? I feel like I need to put names to it. Well, I'll just use the ones that are at hand. (laughs) I have a perfect story before me. I'm going to create one out of my head. So basically, here's the plan. And this was the, the law of the land of that time. If Sarai can't have kids, what she's got to do is she's got to take her her servant, Hagar, and give uh, Hagar to Abram to have sex with. And the kid will be known as Sarai's kid. This was the law of the land, the culture that was extremely common. And I want to stop right there to point out something That's relevant for for our lives, I think, today. One of the biggest problems with not trusting in God's promise but trying to plan things on our own is we take what the world says is acceptable and we apply it to our lives as Christians when that should never be the case. As Christians, as God's chosen people, and here Abram and Sarai, as God's chosen people, they were supposed to stand apart and be different from the world around them. They were supposed to obey God in everything that he said and be that light that so shines before men that everyone around would see Abraham and Sarai and glorify God. But here we have Sarai Letting the culture influence her decision You see we have two things set before us we have a promise and a plan and uh, In god's infinite wisdom. I just want to step back to say it was really cool uh, Out of a completely different scripture this last saturday I got to talk to a bunch of junior hires about this very subject and then here we are in our chapter today Talking about the exact same thing But we have a plan And a promise God has promised Abram. I am going to not only give you a son, but I'm going to make your name great and all of your descendants They're going to be like the stars of the heavens and then we have a plan that Sarah's conceived in her head to just go ahead with the cultural norms and expedite the process and make Things happen in her timing rather than waiting on God's How often do we do that as christians? We take God's promise and we try and make it happen in our timing rather than waiting and trusting on him. Understand, it had been a long time. It had been 10 years since God originally promised Abram to give him kids. 10 years without sight of a child. But understand, family, as we're going to see, when we push aside God's promise... And make our own plans, it only ends up causing problems. When we move aside God's promise and make our own plans, it only creates problems. It only creates problems. And here we have Sarai coming up with this cultural, acceptable thing, but something that is completely an abomination to God. Remember, we saw in creation that for this man, or for this reason, a man shall leave, his fi- shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall be as one flesh. Marriage was supposed to be between one man and one woman, not one man and multiple women. And here Sarai takes Hagar, her servant, and gives her to Abram, comes up with this plan. But we have something else really tragic happening in here. Not only is Sarai coming up with this plan to expedite God's promise, but we see in at the end of verse two, and Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. See this is the reason why we as Christians will sometimes. Push aside God's promise and make our own plans for our life. And we let our decisions and our our lives and the choices we make be ruled by our plans rather than God's promise. What happens is, is we stop listening to God's voice and we start listening to others. We stop listening to God's voice and we start listening to our parents. You need to do this, and you should really do that, and you need to go to your boss and tell them this, and uh, be sure that you're taking these courses in school, and and be sure that this job is 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 good, and and you're going to be secure there. And doing that, we start listening to our parents, or we start listening to our boyfriend or girlfriend. You shouldn't you shouldn't hang out with that person. That that's they're they're so boring and they're so lame. I I hate when you hang out with that person and. Well that's that's my accountability partner. Yeah, but you should just you should, you should just stop talking to them. They're weird. Or we start listening to even worse the world. I already talked about how this was a cultural norm and and sometimes what we'll do is we will stop listening to God and his promise for our lives and we'll start doing things like the world does them. Instead of seeking waiting and praying for that perfect person that god has created to to be your your husband or your wife instead of doing that what we do like the world does and we start going out and meeting people you know and maybe we don't go to bars but we we go around and we we hit up coffee shops and you know and and guys you see that lady that that Looks cute and you go and sit down next to her and you, you come up with some cheesy pickup line and try and make relationships happen that way. Or you're in a relationship and, uh, and it's gone on so long that, you know, you're sort of wondering if you're ever going to get married. And so you know the the surefire way to get a Christian to get married is to sleep with them because then they feel obligated to, you know, to, to get married with you. And so you go and you try and manipulate that and make that happen. When we stop listening to God and start listening to other people and we start listening to the world and to our our culture that's around us and we start to be changed and impressed and moved by the people around us rather than God, we take our eyes off of his promise and make our own plans. And again, as we're going to find out, it only creates problems. That's right. But we'll keep reading now. Picking up in verse three. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with content on her mistress. We'll pause right there. I think it's so special. I know that we just paused, but Bear with me. We're pausing again. I think it's so interesting that the language that Moses chooses to use here with this whole thing. He says that Sarai gave Hagar. Abram took her. And he listened to her. Right? The reason why I think that's interesting and the reason why I think it's funny is because we see the exact same thing happening in man's original sin. Right? What happened? Eve took the fruit. She ate of it. She gave it to her husband. He took of it and he ate it. He listened to her. We have the exact same thing happening in the garden that we have here in Genesis 16 with Abram and Sarai. The reason why I point this out is to say family history repeats itself. History absolutely repeats itself. And that's one of the great things about studying scripture is we get to learn from the mistakes that others have made and not make those same mistakes. But here we have history repeating itself once again. And this is really when it comes down to it, the root of the problem is Abram listened to his wife. Understand, I'm not making a chauvinist statement and saying that Women come up with bad ideas. I'm not saying that by any means, but this is what I am saying guys listen up You are the head Of the relationship that you're in You're not to be discipling your girlfriend until you're married then That's all you but when you get married guys, you are the head of the relationship and when you allow your wife to make every decision and you just go along with What she has to say oh, yeah, whatever I just want to placate and appease my wife I'm just gonna do whatever she wants She wants that house because the kitchen's better. We can't afford it, but we're gonna buy that because she wants it for the kitchen the problem is is You're the head of the household You need to be the one making the decisions Again, that's part of how god created things. That's the way he worked it out And to be honest, it's part of the fall as well. We see as part of the curse, God turns to Eve and says, your your, uh, desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. In the Hebrew, what that that word for is, is it's over or against. Your desire shall be against your husband or over your husband, but he shall rule over you. And what that is, is please understand, uh, again, I'm not making a sexist statement. I'm just explaining what's in the Bible because of the fall you ladies have a predisposition to want to control the relationship and to want to manipulate it and make things happen how you want them to happen unfortunately the real tragic thing for us as guys is when we let that happen you end up hating us for it right when you're con- when you're totally controlling a relationship you can't stand the guy that you're that you're with because You just want him to stand up and make a decision and and be in charge and and do something. Guys, listen to me. No matter how frustrating or difficult it may be to say no uh, to your wife or to your future wife, you need to be making decisions based on God's promise for you and for her and not her plans or your plans or anyone else's plans but you need to make sure that you're making decisions and if necessary saying no when it comes to doing something that violates God's promise for you guys. It's an important thing and I I didn't want to miss it, but we'll keep reading. Don't get too comfortable reading though because we're going to pause again pretty quick. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with content. May the Lord judge between you and me. This is exactly what I was talking about. Like I said, it's just in Scripture. Ladies, you try and control and want to manipulate things to, to be how you want them to be, and then when it doesn't go well, Abram, how dare you let this happen to me? May everything, the wrong that's done to me, the violence that's done to me, let it be on you. Again, exactly what we just talked about. And so let me just offer a quick exhortation to you ladies. The guy that you're dating should be godlier than you are. He should be a man after God's own heart, and he should be seeking the Lord in every single decision he makes. If that's the case, go along with it. When he decides something and he says, you know what, like, I know that you want to do this, but we can't, just let it go. Because otherwise you're going to find yourself feeling a lot like Sarai. You, you push for something to happen, you really want it to go that way, and he finally just caves and gives in whatever you want. Yes, dear. And he, and he does it, how you want it to happen. And it turns out not being the greatest thing, the greatest wisdom or the greatest advice, and you end up burned by it. See, what happened is, is, is Hagar did conceive. She, she conceived a son. And uh, she starts walking around and flaunting her baby bump. And starts casting these like dirty looks at Sarai. Like, ha, 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 I've got a kid. You still don't. Take that. And so Sarai gets completely bummed. And she turns around and she blames Abram. This isn't something that women do. This is something that humans do. When we decide to act outside of God's promise and make our own plans, we end up with problems, right? And so what do we do when we end up with problems? Well, we try and push the blame on other people and other circumstances. We call it the enemy attacking us or a trial or a tribulation in our life when really ultimately all it is is we have stepped outside of God's promise and created our own plans and ended up with a whole new set of problems. Sarai tries to shift the blame off of herself. Hey, it was her idea in the first place, right? And put it on Abram. How could you do this? You, why, why did this happen? How dare you do this thing to me? Let God judge between you and me. God definitely did have something to say about this whole situation. We're going to read about that soon. But I want to continue reminding us. The thing, the the statement that I want to drill in our heads this evening is when we take our eyes or step outside of God's promise and we make our own plans, we end up with problems. That's right. And Sarah did have a huge problem here. All of a sudden, it wasn't really how she wanted it to be. She thought this would be a great idea. I'm going to get my man a kid so that my name can look good because I'm going to call the kid mine. And we're just going to go on pretending like this is my child. Uh, And this will be a great plan. It ends up being a huge problem because now Sarai is filled with jealousy and anger toward Hagar because Hagar is using this against her now. Hagar's using this against her. And so we read on. Verse 6. So Sarai is just tongue-lashed, Abram. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her and fled from her. Again, understand, this is a sort of a cultural thing that's going on here. In the Code of Hammurabi that I talked about earlier, there was a law. In fact, it was law number 146. I, I honestly don't know why I know that, but I, I, it was law 146. Law 146 said that if a maid, or if uh, this woman, if someone in, in Hagar's situation ends up dealing harshly or, or uh, casting bad looks at her mistress, which in this case is Sarai, the mistress has the authority to put Hagar back in her old position. I have no idea why such a specific law was necessary, but apparently it was in this time. And I guess we see why. this Stuff like this happened. So Hagar starts making Sarai feel jealous. And so Abram, rather than either taking responsibility for the situation, because like I said, the man is the head of the relationship. And when, guys, when your future wife, if she convinces you to do something that rebels against God, it's on your head, not hers. You made the decision, right? When this happens, instead of Abram taking the responsibility for what's going on, which he should have, and instead of even reminding Sarai that Hey, look, this is your plan in the first place. This is what you wanted. And instead of reminding Sarai of God's promise, he just brings up a cultural law. Once again, we have Abram taking his eyes off of God's promise, which just a second ago, we we saw Abram believing in God and accounting to him as righteousness. He believed God and then all of a sudden he takes his eyes off of God's promise, puts them on Sarah's plans, and now creates some plans of his own to get his wife off his back. He brings up some cultural laws. Guys, don't do this. Don't do this. Anytime that you're having a problem in your marriage, never turn to what the culture has for answers. Don't go to a therapist to work out your issues. Don't buy a self-help book about how to deal with your wife or your husband, ladies. Don't bring up the big D word. Because that's how the culture answers marital problems, right? Divorce. Well, we'll just get divorced. Irreconcilable differences. But rather point one another to God's word and remind one another of God's promise. Amen? But again, when we take our eyes off of God's promise and try to make our own plans, we end up with problems. So let's take a look at all the problems real quick. Let's recap. What are all the problems that we have going on? Well, Abram's cheated on his wife. Number one, he's committed adultery. Number two, he has listened to Sarai, his wife, rather than standing up for and, and holding true God's word. Number two. He's taken on Hagar as his wife. Uh, so now he's a polygamist. He's an adulterer and a polygamist. That's a third problem. The fourth problem is Hagar is now using this against Sarai and making her feel miserable. It's another huge problem. And now, once again... Number five, rather than Abram pointing his wife back to God's promise and back to his word, God's word, instead he brings up this cultural law. And so Sarah decides to totally persecute and be a jerk to and abuse Hagar. Hagar is being abused. That's another huge problem. Huge problem. But we'll continue reading. Hagar takes off, books it. She flees there. Fleeds. She flees there at the end of of, uh, verse 6. And verse 7 The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where are you going? And where have you come from? And where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai." Again, we're going to pause right there. Forgive me. This is going to be pretty quick. We're pausing a lot, but I promise this is going to be quick. There's only 16 verses in this whole chapter. So this is going to be a quick one. So indulge my pausing constantly. The angel of the Lord. Anytime we see the angel of the Lord rather than an angel of the Lord. We've seen in scripture time and time and time and time and time again, anytime we see the angel of the Lord, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. This is called a Christophany, which is a big theological term that basically means it's Jesus showing up here on earth, manifesting himself before his incarnation. Before his incarnation. Obviously, this brings up the question, Tyler, is Jesus an angel? No. In Hebrew and in Greek, the word for angel is simply messenger. And so Jesus is, as we see in John one, he is the word, right? In the beginning, the word was with God. The word was in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. We jump down to verse 14 of John chapter one. And we see that the, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is God's word. And so thus he was used in the old Testament to be God's messenger time and time and time again. So anytime we see the angel of the Lord. It's talking about Jesus. So Jesus shows up. Sarai's on the, or I'm sorry, Hagar's on the run. I'm so terrible with mixing up names. Hagar's on the run, and Jesus ends up showing up at a well. Finds her at a spring of water. I don't know why Jesus likes to meet women at wells, but he just likes to meet people at bodies of water. And uh, and so Jesus finds her by a spring of water and he asks her a question. He says, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Many of you here today know that God has a specific promise for your life. He has revealed to you that You're supposed to be a missionary to Uganda or Belize. He's revealed to you that you are to be a teacher of God's word. He's shown you that who it is, the the person that he has given you to marry. Praise God if that's happened. I wish I could claim that. I just want to point out this. Is, this has nothing to do with anything with the study, but I, I just want to like rabbit trail for a second and tell you a funny story. So, um, uh, this last Sunday, we had a. a I, I work at, at Harvest in the high school ministry, and we had a leadership meeting and uh and i work with um the the pastor over the high school ministry daniel hooper and two other ministry assistants and so daniel's addressing all the leaders and yeah we're so excited blah 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 and you know we've got all this great stuff going on me and my wife erica and jason and his wife mary and aaron and his fiance michelle and tyler and and well i guess we're going to work on that and just totally like punks me calls me out makes this big joke about how I'm single, and I'm just like, whatever, I can deal with it. The next day, the very next day, we're all having coffee, uh, the, the high school ministry staff, with Pastor Jeff Lassane, who's an uh, administrative pastor at Harvest, and he, uh, he teaches on Wednesday nights. We're all having coffee with him, and he was saying how blessed he was at fourth service to see Daniel and Erica and Jason and Mary and Aaron and Michelle and Tyler... Or, are you are you dating anyone right now? I'm like, no, I'm not, Pastor Jeff. In my head thinking, thanks a lot, you know. And so he fully punks me, and he's like, well, I guess 14 is a little young to start dating. <laughs> Everyone's laughing, and he's like, I'm sorry, I'm just kidding with you. And so I totally got punked about that twice this week already. And, uh yeah. That has absolutely nothing to do with the Bible study. It's just a really funny story and welcome to my life. But maybe God has revealed to you who it is that you're supposed to marry. Praise God if that's happened. And whatever it is that God has shown you, this is what I have for you. This is what I have for your life. This is what I have uniquely created and gifted you for. You've either tried to make things happen in your own timing. You've tried to create your own plans to make that happen. Or what's happened is you come up with your own plans altogether. And you say, God, I don't want to be a missionary. I I have no... uh, They're poor. And the people that they work with are even poorer. And they get sick. And their family all dies. And it's terrible. I've read you know, Fox's Book of Martyrs. I don't want to be a missionary. And so you decide, I'm going to go to college to get a business degree, and I'm going to be the CEO of a multi-million dollar company, and I'm going to sell it all for hundreds of millions of dollars and have a nice big mansion with a white picket fence. And in the south, we're going to have a plantation. And uh, I'm going to have a golden retriever, and my wife is going to be just top-notch, and she's going to be a better cook than Paula Dean, And it's going to be awesome. We're going to have the perfect life and never going to have to work another day in my life. And that's this plan that you've come up with. This plan for your own life. God's, hey, God's called me to be a missionary, but I don't want to do that. I don't like that gig. I'm going to do this thing. And so you find yourself running from God's plan, running from his will, running from his promise to make your own plans. If he hasn't yet, Jesus is today meeting you here at the upper room. We've often said that the upper room is, it's a tall glass of water on a hot day here to refresh you. So I don't know why Jesus likes meeting people at bodies of water, but he does. And so here we are at at our tall glass of water here. And Jesus is meeting you here. And he has this question from you. Or for you, rather. Where are you coming from and where are you going? Where are you coming from and where are you going? You see, if you don't remember, I had this awesome promise for you and I had plans for your life. I created you, knit you together in your mother's womb arranged an entire series of of events to happen around your life to cause you to be the man or woman that you are today. I called you unto myself to follow after me and to be my disciple. And then I gave you specific gifts to carry out the purpose that I made for you from before the foundations of the earth. You remember back there? You remember that? Where are you going? We know from where Hagar's at that she was on her way back to Egypt. Egypt, as we'll see through the book of Exodus, is always a picture of the world. We have Hagar running from. Running from this past, in a sense, and running to the world. And so my question for you today is, where are you coming from and where are you going? Where are you coming from and where are you going? What? Is behind you? What is God orchestrated in your life and shaped to happen in your life? And where are you going? What does your future hold? And more importantly, who holds your future? Is it you or is it God? Are you more concerned and are you making your decisions and are you walking down life with your eyes on God's promise or on your plans? Or your parents' plans. Or your friends' plans. My mom, when she was in college, she was at the University of Utah. And she was taking classes like basket weaving and bowling and flower arranging. Just ridiculous classes. She had no idea what she wanted to do. And someone walked up to her and said, hey, are you, uh, are you pre-law? And she was like, no. No, I'm not. I'm taking basket weaving. And they were like, oh, well, you should be a lawyer. And so she said, okay. And she went to law school and she became a lawyer and she has been or had been doing it uh, up until about the time I was like 13. She had me in law school. So for like 12, no, I was like 15. So for 14 years, she was a lawyer because of what someone else had decided for her. Someone else just decided, hey, you should be a lawyer. And so she did it. And I'll tell you this. I have never heard my mom say that she loved her job. I've never even heard my mom say that she liked her job. The only thing I've ever heard my mom say is that she was miserable being a lawyer. Why? Because she didn't consider God's promise for her life. She didn't have in her mind's eye what God had for her, but instead she listened to someone else's random plan for her life to become a lawyer. And what did she end up with? Problems. Problems. Where are you coming from? And where are you going? Are you walking in God's promise for your life? His will, his direction, his guiding, and ultimately walking toward what he has for you, no matter how difficult or easy, appealing or not. Are you living life based on God's promise or your plans? Where are you coming from and where are you going? Jesus says to Hagar. Verse 9, the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. This is a perfect example of God's promise not being easy and not being what we want to do, okay? Go back to Sarai and submit to her. Verse 10, the angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, which means God remembers or God hears, I'm sorry, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Berlehai Roy, it lies between Kadesh and Bered. Pausing very briefly to point out two kind of interesting, cool things. not going to really talk too much about it. It's just something cool to keep in the back of your mind. Hagar is the only matriarch. If you don't know a matriarch, it's like the mother of a people. The only matriarch that God promised to multiply her descendants. God promised it multiple times to Abram, to Isaac, to Jacob, and other men, other patriarchs along that line. But only once in all of scripture does God promise to a matriarch to make her descendants great. Just kind of an interesting thing. And because of this, Hagar is also the only person, man or woman, who ever gave a name to God. The only person to ever give a name to God. And what would she call him? She called him, you are the God of seeing. Or maybe more literally, the God who sees me. You're the God who sees me. And here's the thing, family. No matter where you're at, no matter what you're doing, no matter what you're running from or running to, whether you're living in God's promise or your plans, God sees right through you. He knows exactly what's going on in your heart. He knows exactly what you're thinking, what you're planning, what you're purposing in your heart to do. He's the God who sees you. And so Hagar, in verse 15, we see that she returned. She listened to the Lord's voice. In verse 15, And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Ishmael later becomes the Arab people. Little did Sarai know when she decided to step out of God's promise and create her own plans to take Hagar, her servant, and just sort of follow the the conduct of the culture and give her to Abram and say, honey, sleep with my servant and have a kid. Little did she know that that child, Ishmael, would be the cause of thousands of years of bloodshed. You see, the entire Muslim people today consider Ishmael their father, their forefather. And it's Ishmael who is the, like I said, he is the the father, the patriarch of the entire Arab people. And the prophecy that Jesus made about Ishmael was so true. He was a wild donkey of a man. A nomad just sort of traveling through the desert, doing whatever he wanted, not ruled by God, but just doing his own thing and that his hand would be against everyone and everyone's hand would be against him. Looking at the situation today, the the climate of, of the world around us, isn't that exactly what's happening? I mean, don't get me wrong, I am not by any means demonizing the Arab people. That's not not my purpose here. This has nothing to do with a racial conflict by any means. This is purely a religious conflict that we see in the world around us. But isn't it exactly what we see? We see these descendants of Ishmael being completely against the descendants of of what will be Isaac, Sarah's, Sarah's son, Isaac, which ended up being Israel. Here's my point. When you step outside of God's promise and make your own plans, you end up with problems. You end up with problems. Not only problems in your life, but problems in your kids' lives and your kids' kids' lives and so on and so on and so on. I've talked about before that you have no idea the impact that the decisions that you're making today will have on your children and on your children's children. This is true here especially. You think if Sarah would have known that taking her eyes off God's promise and putting them on her own plans. Do you think if she would have known what would have happened with Ishmael thousands of years later, you think she would have went through with it? No. No. She would have realized that that's a terrible idea and not done that. Not sent Hagar to Abram. Do you think Abram would have gone along with this? Forget about it. No, he wouldn't have. I don't care how much nagging Sarah would have done. He would not have gone along with this. He would not have been okay with it. This is what I'm trying to say. You don't know the impact that you could have when you disobey God by making your own plans for your life. By deciding, it's easiest for me to go to this school for this degree so I can get this job, so I can have this white picket fence and this 401k plan and down the line have... All these awesome grandkids and and retire nice and easy and all this stuff. This is what makes sense. I know if I do this, I can be okay and I I can have all these awesome luxuries and comforts. When you make that decision on your own plans rather than God's promise, you have no idea how much damage you're doing and how many problems you could end up with. And so, family, let's learn from the story of Abram and Sarai. And when you feel like you want to do something, whether it's get married or jump into a job or go to a certain school or follow down a, a, a certain career path, stop, pray. Pray spend time in God's word and make your decisions based on his revealed will for your life. Jeremiah 29:11 says, "I know the plans that I have for you," says the Lord. "They're plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope." Family. Believe God trust in him and hold to his promise don't make your own life plans or what are you going to end up with problems let's pray father i can relate so much to this i there's been so many times in my life where Things have come up, God, that, that people have have told me that I should do something or another and, and I try and make it happen in my own strength and by my own power and in, with my own plans rather than considering your promise for my life and rather than looking at what you have for me and trusting in you. God, I pray that we wouldn't be this way, that as a family, we would daily consider what you would have for us. That we would wake up tomorrow morning, that we'd sit down on the foot of our bed and not put together our to-do list but put together your to-do list. That we would ask God, what would you have me do today? God, where do you want me to go in life down this direction? Lord, I really like this guy or that girl. God, is this the person that you have for me? Lord, this job seems like a a great opportunity, but I want to do whatever you want me to do. Father, I've been asked to take on this, this ministry thing. God, but what do you want? Father, I pray that we would truly trust in you with all of our hearts and stop leaning on our own understanding. Then in everything that we do, that we would acknowledge you and ask you and seek your face about what you want for us, God, and that you would direct our paths. Show us where you want us to go and make it clear to us. Lord, I pray for anyone in here, if whatever need they have, Lord, whether they're running from, from what they know is, is your promise for them, God, or maybe they're sitting here today and they they don't know what you have for them in life. And they're just sitting wondering, God, what do you want me to do? What do you have for me? Lord, I pray that Jesus, you would reveal your will to them, that you'd meet them and refresh them and ask them the question where are you coming from and where are you going? I love you, Lord. In your precious son's name, amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. May God cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace.